this summer, as part of Lyft, um, Elevator Repair Service came to London and they're bringing us The Great Gatsby, word by word, moment by moment, over eight incredible hours. And I will say that you should take a cushion. I took a cushion. It, it helped. Um, <laughs> this is not just a verbatim reading or an original play. Like a martini, it's more than the sum of its parts. It is an incredible thing. I've not stopped thinking about it or talking about it since I went there. So tonight, I'm thrilled to say that we have Scott Shepherd giving us an exclusive performance, and then I'll be joined in discussion by the director, John Collins. Please welcome Scott Shepherd. Uh, okay, so uh, I've been asked to read a little something from The Great Gatsby, but please not all of it. <laughs> so this is... Um, this is at the end of chapter three. What happens in chapter three is that Nick goes over to one. Uh, one. <laughs> wow. Off to a good start. I have a very good memory. Um, in chapter one, Nick goes over to uh, Daisy and Tom's house and uh, the uh, to have dinner. And during dinner, the phone is ringing off the hook because Tom's mistress is calling. So this is. Uh, what happens when Nick leaves. I got up to go home. They came to the door with me and stood side by side in a cheerful square of light. As I started my motor, Daisy peremptorily called, wait, I wanted to ask you something and it's important. We heard you were engaged to a girl out west. That's right, corroborated Tom kindly. We heard you were engaged. It's a libel, I'm too poor. But we heard it, insisted Daisy, surprising me by opening up again in a flower-like way. We heard it from three people, so it must be true. <laughs> of course, I knew what they were referring to, but I wasn't even vaguely engaged. The fact that Gossip had published the bands was one of the reasons I had come east. You can't stop going with an old friend on account of rumors. And on the other hand, I had no intention of being rumored into marriage. Their interest rather touched me and made them less remotely rich. Nevertheless, I was confused and a little disgusted as I drove away. It seemed to me that the thing for Daisy to do was to rush out of the house child in arms. But apparently there were no such intentions in her head. As for Tom, the fact that he had some woman in New York was really less surprising than that he had been depressed by a book. <laughs> Something was making him nibble at the edge of stale ideas, as if his sturdy physical egotism no longer nourished his peremptory heart. Already it was deep summer on roadhouse roofs and in front of wayside garages where new red gas pumps sat out in pools of light. And when I reached my estate at West Egg, I ran the car under its shed and sat for a while on an abandoned grass roller in the yard. The wind had blown off, leaving a loud, bright night with wings beating in the trees and a persistent organ sound as the full bellows of the earth blew the frogs full of life. The silhouette of a moving cat wavered across the moonlight, and turning my head to watch it, I saw that I was not alone. Fifty feet away, a figure had emerged from the shadow of my neighbor's mansion and was standing with his hands in his pockets regarding the silver pepper of the stars. 
Something in his leisurely movements and the secure position of his feet upon the lawn suggested that it was Mr. Gatsby himself come out to determine what share was his of our local heavens. I decided to call to him. Miss Baker had mentioned him at dinner, and that would do for an introduction. But I didn't call to him, for he gave a sudden intimation that he was content to be alone. He stretched out his arms toward the dark water in a curious way, and far as I was from him, I could have sworn he was trembling. Involuntarily, I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except a single green light, minute and far away, that might have been the end of a dock. When I, went, when I looked once more for Gatsby, he had vanished, and I was alone again in the unquiet darkness. Uh, so this is John Collins, he's the director. Please give him a round of applause. Woo! Uh, so the, the incredibly observant among you will have noticed that Scott didn't have the book in his hand. Um, he, has the, he has the book in his head um, and, and his heart. So I'll begin by asking you both, and you can answer in, in turn, I guess. So the, tell us where the, the, the journey to, to being here at the Noel Coward Theatre started. Well, it, uh, it, I guess it started in 1999, uh, which was the first time we thought we would uh, try to make some kind of piece of theater out of The Great Gatsby. And at that time, we had a very different idea of what that piece of theater might look like. Um, in 1999, we had uh, made a lot of little puppets out of random household objects including uh, like a thermos bottle with eyeballs stuck on it. <laughs> who, and we decided that that thermos bottle would play Nick. Um, if you've seen the show, the thermos does make a, a cameo. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, we went in a different direction eventually. Um, Scott, you tell the next part. Oh, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> we. We, we, we had to discontinue this little puppet show. I mean, we were trying to do scenes. Uh, uh, the first thing we thought was, well, we have four actors. Let's go straight to the scenes in The Great Gatsby where there are 100 people and see uh, what, how we can handle that. And so we had to people the stage with you know, a shoe with sunglasses and various, <laughs> you know. Any, any object, you put some eyes on it and it looks, you know, you can start personifying it right away. Um, but we had to stop because uh, we made the mistake of asking for permission from the estate, and uh, it wasn't forthcoming. There was a TV movie with Mira Sorvino in the works, so nobody was allowed to touch it. It was nothing to do with the fact that you were using household objects. We didn't tell them. <laughs> we did not mention that. You were like, we were using stilettos with faces. No, no, no. So it was, it was the Mira Sorvino that, that, that put... So, so what happened then? So then we set it on the back burner for a while. Side. We did. We did come to the idea even then, even when it was going to be starring random objects with eyes stuck on them, <laughs> that 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 we should not edit the book. I think no. we came we came to that idea even even early on that way, which was response to just having read it and 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 having tried to to cut it down to just dialogue or make it into something that looked more like a play. It just kept not working. 
It kept um, becoming less interesting and less powerful every time we, right. you know. Which is why we asked for permission then. Uh, I think we wouldn't have bothered with asking the state for any permission <laughs> if we hadn't already decided that we were going to be running around the stage with copies of the book uh, in hand uh, making and, and doing the text verbatim. Right. We had also heard about Andy Kaufman's stunt that he would pull yeah. where he would just start reading from The Great Gatsby and continue until everybody walked out of the <laughs> comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so, yeah, then a few years later, John called me up and uh, he was like, well, I'm still, this Gatsby idea is nagging me. Let's, let's work on it. And uh, actually, and, and John, I, I feel like you were on sort of a, ERS was on a little bit of a vacation. You were taking a pause yeah. from, uh, from the theater company, but you still, but like, but you were feeling restless. Yes. And so uh, we got together, just me and John and another actor, and it, it just by accident, the place we were getting together was at a theater, but we didn't want to go down in the theater and turn on those lights and you know deal with a theater space. So we were upstairs in the like crummy office yeah. uh, of the administrative. Not feeling very ambitious at right. that point. Yeah. Right. And so that's when we started, because we were in an office, we came up with this idea that uh, the person reading this book would be at work uh, and, and, and unable to, you know how you sometimes like get nothing to do at work and you read, I read Ulysses that way one summer. At a temp job. <laughs> so it's been a great job. <laughs> <laughs> now people go on Twitter. He read Ulysses. There you go. So we uh, hit on that idea then, and that became really the the key to what Gats is now. So I mean, how did you how do you go about that process of committing all of that to memory? Because you're on stage pretty much the whole time, and and the the set for those of you who, who don't know is just an office with a kind of glass. Uh, space in the back. So I want to ask you about how you kind of, you, you know, commit all that to memory and then cope with being on stage all that time. And then I want to ask you how you how you direct that very limited space, but within also the confines of the book. So, well, committing it to memory was just a mistake. That was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to use that room in my brain for something else. I'm sure, but. Um, but it just, uh, it's a byproduct of being exposed over and over to language that's so beautiful. You know what I mean? The pleasure of it makes it stick. And so that, can I just ask you then, when yeah. you were doing it at first, the first few times you did it and you're reading on stage and you're reading from the book, had you memorized it or were you using the book? No, no, I, mean, I was using the book. You were uh, using yeah. the book. I mean, okay. the, con the whole conceit of the, of the show is that the man... Uh, is at work. He can't use his computer. Computer's broken. Bye. Starts reading. Yeah, <laughs> starts reading the book and can't stop. So, uh, so, um, so as part of that conceit, yeah, I'm on stage the whole time reading the book. But as a result of reading it over and over and over, it goes in. I mean, it, and it be, I mean, but also it becomes tough because once other employees at the office start getting involved in the story and taking on the characters of Daisy and Tom and so on then you, you're some, suddenly involved in scenes and Nick has things to say to those people and those things I would, like when I'm in the character of Nick saying something Nick says, I'm not looking at the book. And then you'll be surprised, like if you look away from the book for a second and then you try to you know, find your place in it, <laughs> there can be like a five second pause while you remember. <laughs> so eventually, you know, as memory took over, the, uh, this, the show became quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. It was a 12-hour show. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, your so question. Oh well, I I I love a, an extreme limitation um, 
like a single set on which everything in The Great Gatsby has to happen. I mean, that, that's kind of the way I see all of theater. I mean, in, it's, it's not, we're not making a film. If we were making a film, we would go out to Long Island and we'd shoot some scenes outside a great mansion and we'd shoot some other scenes inside a great mansion. We'd shoot some other scenes in New York City and, you know, in, in a dark restaurant. But we, it's theater, so the, fundamentally we're, we're, all, we're stuck in this one room. I mean, that's no matter what kind of set we build or how many changes or how many other backdrops we fly in, we're still in one room. And so I, I, I prefer to just acknowledge that in the way that we stage anything that, that we do uh, with Elevator Repair Service. And with this show, since the office was, you know, the, the idea for the show was born in this little office, it seemed like a great thing uh, to try to do, to try to not uh, impose on the audience's imagination by by giving them a representation of every single, you know, description that, that Fitzgerald gives, but instead just give them the descriptions and let them, the audience, project it onto this kind of drab background and, and watch while Scott's character and eventually uh, the others in the office begin to imagine that they are in you know, Fitzgerald's world and in Gatsby's mansion and all of those places that are described. And we do a lot with sound and with lighting. Um, Can I just, because uh, yeah. the sound and lighting guy is on stage throughout. Um, and I was thinking, is he an actor who's turned his hand to electrics or is he electrics? Because he does get, it gets to do a bit of acting as well. There's a scenery where a door closes on cue, right on cue, and he bangs his head like that. And he just looks so pleased with himself <laughs> yeah, when, that, yeah. when that happens. So, he is. He's very pleased with himself. <laughs> I can attest. Um, well, the, the, he's doing sound there. Uh, the lighting is being done uh, from from one of the other uh, the boxes, <laughs> actually. Um, but I, I mean, I'm I'm a sound designer as well, and um, I've spent a lot of time uh, working on shows as a sound designer. Where and so to me, sound is always a kind of performance, and so it made sense uh, to have one of the actors running the sound from one, another little desk in this office. Um, and uh, so that, uh, that's part of the reason why you see him up there. Um, I think of sound as, as part of the performance. And sound is a kind of limitless form. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no limit to the number of and kinds of sounds that you can make on stage, even if the you know even if you're still looking at an office in fluorescent light, I, I like that somebody can go and open the door and you hear crickets and frogs from the Long Island Sound coming through that doorway. So that's that's one of the ways we we transform the space and 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 you know the lighting also does a lot of that work as well. I love those moments where you can hear the the kind of I want to say cicadas, cicadas, however you say it, coming coming through the door, and you it, it does it's it's transport you know it's tran transports us from from that kind of office, and we hear jazz coming up through the window. Um, so the play uh, the play the book seems more relevant now than ever. I mean, as we get towards the very end, tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms further. I mean, it does seem to have something to say now, almost more than in 1999. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, w w one of the reasons that we chose it in, in 1999 was that it did have some, it felt like the 1920s and the late 1990s in New York did have some relationship. There was, I mean, it's very different from now, but there was a lot of new money and there was a sort of, you know, 
reckless, wealthy exuberance, and uh, and at the time it was the you know it was the it was all the new internet money, the dot com bubble. Um, now, obviously, that's it has a different sort of relevance now. Uh, I mean, you know, we get asked this question a lot, and I and I, I think that the reason that um, the Great Gatsby is is relevant now, and this may be a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I think it's just because it's such great literature. And, and the description of, you know, there's, there's a lot of surface elements that, uh, that a lot of adapters of this book are drawn to, um, and they have a lot to do with Gatsby as a self-made man and, uh, and, and all the opulence of his parties. And, uh, but really what the book comes down to, and, and, and one thing you get from it when you read the whole thing, and, and you don't just cut it down to its most dramatic bits is um, you get that it's a kind of coming of age story. Uh, it's that it's Nick's story. It's a story about someone who moves to the big city from you know the provinces in the, in the Midwest in, in this case, and um, and the way he comes to understand how to how to understand other people. And um, there's some there's there's so much that's so profound about his observations, and and that Fitzgerald manages to somehow. Uh, equate and blend together this, his observations about his own coming of age in New York City with you know the discovery of the new world that he can pull that off is 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 astounding and uh, that's I think that's why that's why we keep reading this book and, and and why we stay interested in it. I mean it's probably it's very good accidental branding that this book has become the like iconic you know literary symbol for the for the 20s and for a certain type of um, you know economic excess I mean uh, and 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 collapse so that in the 1990s it seemed appropriate to be doing the Great Gatsby yeah. and now that we're on the other side of you know the biggest economic collapse since the Great Depression it's also it again seems relevant but that that conclusion that you were talking about about the orgastic future constantly you know out of reach you know but that you continue to believe in Nevertheless, um, or, or is, the orgastic being is, a, is a, not tied down to a particular era. The orgastic being a cross between orgasmic and orgiastic. Well, yeah, no, this is this is interesting because there there are editions of the Great Gatsby where it was orgiastic, but um, but that was not what Fitzgerald <laughs> meant. He, Fitzgerald made that word up apparently. Orgastic. Orgastic is just yeah. an alternate for orgasmic. It's just another way yeah. of making. Uh, an adjective out of orgasm. <laughs> and, and on that note, I'll take some questions. <laughs> of course, Sylvia. And then Jared, go. I guess it's a question to do with kind of your, your homework. So, you know, the movies, the other adaptations, the, the, the opera, that I think, as well. How, how much did you shun? How much did you consider those? Uh, I find it uh, hard to watch those movies all the way through. <laughs> Actually, uh, my, my favorite one is from 1946. But, I mean, nobody's ever seen it. But, uh, but it's a crazy film where they changed things that don't even make any sense, like West Egg and East Egg. They switched them. And there's no reason why. And, um, and there's two cars, Gatsby's car, because Gatsby gives an exact duplicate of his car to Jordan, which confuses the whole issue of, um, of Myrtle getting run over. So, you know, it, it's, it is, it's... I like that one because it's 
out of its mind, yeah. you know? Well, it's fascinating to watch. I, I mean, I haven't... Uh, what do you was, think about the Baz Luhrmann that's coming up, just based on the... Well, uh, <laughs> well I've, I'm reserving, ju reserving judgments as a matter of infinite hope. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Sure <laughs> I haven't... I've only seen the trailer, so uh, I guess there's uh, a hip-hop soundtrack, and, uh, you know, there's a... Pl Plenty of period details like that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's it, it's fascinating to me. I mean, that we've gotten so deep inside this book and we know it so well that it it it's it's always like a little bit of a like a brick in the face when when somebody takes this language and and decides no 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 I'm going to write something different right here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to or I'm going to I'm going to fill in this scene that Fitzgerald didn't write, or or just just rewrite this sentence. I mean, I can't even understand why anyone would rewrite a single sentence of it, but uh, But that's, but that's a real, the real danger. That's where people really get in trouble is when they try to write what's missing because the, it's, it's all about what's missing, you know, and uh, such care has been taken to leave out especially details about the relationship between Gatsby and Daisy, and that's what everybody who adapts wants to fill in mm -hmm. and, and ends up making something more sentimental or... Also, the Baz Luhrmann films got Leonardo DiCaprio in, who's repulsive and I can't look at. So it's, <laughs> it's like many drivers trying to get out from inside of him. So, Jared, I'll take a question from you. Yeah, it, it actually kind of fall, follows from what you guys were talking about. You, you completely saturated yourself with this, this man's work. Mm -hmm. So I was, just, I was just curious if anything kind of was, after you've done this in this process, anything from the work's revealed itself? Or have you thought any diff you know, differently about the work now, having kind of gone through this uh, trial of yeah, well, I mean, differently from what? I mean, I, I guess I, I'm like most people when I... Oh, sorry, repeat oh, the question. Oh, sorry, sorry, the question sorry. is, after, so, after uh, steeping ourselves in The Great Gatsby for so long, have we come to an, a different understanding of it, or uh, uh, what have we learned? <laughs> I mean, part of the answer is that John had not read the book when we started, and I had read it in high school. So we had, Well, I read you know, it right away. I didn't waste it. He did the audio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll take another question. Sarah? <laughs> oh, did I see your hand? I thought it was sticking out of that lady's head. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, th that's your hairpiece, I'm sorry. It's Naomi. Na do you, do you, Naomi. So the, the question is not about how you change your view on the book, but how have how maybe has your view of yourself or your understanding of yourself changed? How has this book changed or affected you? Hmm. Well, I mean, the <laughs> it's the kind of thing that's so hard to detect. Like, I feel like the answer to that question wants to be that now when I have, uh, you know, when things happen to me in life, I have a sort of wisdom about it that comes <laughs> directly from the great Gatsby. <laughs> and I'm not sure that happens so often, although that was a nice example of it when you said reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope. We, we've got all kinds of great Boston quotes we can use like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, the, a, a quick that's the main thing. Choice phrases are right on your lips. Why is the clock on stage and on the t-shirt stopped to 940? I know it's a silly small question, but why, why is that? Well, this, we had this 
uh, clock, and I, I mean, was it, did it, was it just didn't have a battery in it or something? It broke. It broke. Yeah, in rehearsal we had a clock, because we, we had things to be around the office, but um, I really enjoyed this clock, and I really liked the idea of looking at it all the time during the show, because the show's so long, you know what I mean? And to prevent people from looking at their watch, I would just keep looking at this clock. <laughs> you know? But, but, but when the clock broke, it was even better, you know what I mean? It was. Time, time, you could just forget about time for a little while. Um, and, and, to, and to keep emphasizing that by looking at the clock really pleased me for some reason. We had done an earlier show um, called Cab Legs, which was uh, uh, where, where we had a clock on the back wall, but that clock had the right time on it, which I also liked. It's just, just like, this is what time it is. You don't have to check. Also, it was very good with phones, except on Wednesday, one did go off, and I don't know if you heard, but I attacked the woman in the row behind <laughs> me. Um, and I was like, just put it the fuck on silent. And she said, I don't know how, and I grabbed it off her and smashed it till it went quiet. <laughs> and then when you said, now it's chapter three, and everybody applauded, the people in the front row were actually applauding at me for making the woman. <laughs> and she was so ashamed that she left. <laughs> Oh, no. Make sure your phones are off. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Sarah has just finished writing a book about the Great Gatsby. No pressure. <laughs> And she's jaunty all the way through. Jaunty, right? you know, like, yeah. And so things like that, where, I, where I'm just, I, I'm curious about when you say that you weren't doing anything in opposition to it, I, I, in another sense, in a real way, I think clearly in terms of the way you're thinking about it, you are. And I was just wondering if you could Okay, so here's a question from self confessed Gatsby bitch and purist <laughs> say, <laughs> saying, so, some, so you weren't adding anything, but sometimes you did add things, and you did things that sometimes were in opposition. So what, so what were you doing? No, I know, no, I know. So there, and you know what? I don't have to answer it. So. <laughs> Well, I think, uh, well, it's a, good, it's a really good question, actually. Um, the, we, when I talked about those things that, you know, in the adaptations that seemed added, it was, it, it, the, the, the things that I react to are where, you know, the, it's more, more dialogue and, and where Fitzgerald, where the story gets completely f filled in with new scenes. That's the thing. I, I think we're not doing that. But what we what we are absolutely doing is presenting something that is totally in opposition to it, and that's very deliberate. I mean, we do, and and not just in terms of staging it in this drab late twentieth century office, but uh, but having the actors uh, not be their characters when they walk on stage. The characters are what they become, and they become those characters. In, 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 in little individual ways, by the, the, it's like they're doing their own little experimental theater shows, each character is, by trying to experiment with the text that they've been given and figure out how to become that character. And sometimes those, uh, those little transformations happen uh, through little failures. And sometimes it's 
you know, in the beginning, Scott is reading and, and he can't uh, pronounce the word buclu. I think it's the correct pronunciation. I don't, even, I don't know how to say it. I think of it. Thank you, John. I, don't tell me. I, don't. I, I always think of it as buclu or whatever he says in the, in the don't, show. Don't corrupt my naive reading. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it, but Sue's. Yeah, it's buclu. Okay. But, but in, the, in the case of, uh, of the way Susie Sokol pr portrays Jordan or, and sometimes the way Tom is portrayed, it's, it really is about a kind of direct engagement with just the literal description of the character. And sometimes it's about pushing it a little too far. But it's meant as a way of trying to sort of find that character. And that's happening on all sorts of different levels throughout the show and, through, and with the various actors. M with my hope that by the end, everyone has completely become those characters. So I like seeing a, a sort of failure to be exactly what he meant by Jordan's jauntiness, um, because I like to see a little bit of distance between the actor and the characters. And I feel some you know, safety and security in the fact that we are doing the text exactly as he wrote it. So you can hear uh, his words, and you can see the gap in between what we're doing. We're not claiming to own this story now. It's a little bit of us saying, like, you know what? We don't own it. It's not ours. It's something else out there. There's a great, I mean, and there's a great sense of yearning in that, that, um, that of course, reflects a, a great yearning that's at the heart of The Great Gatsby. But I think there's two things happening with, in terms of, like, what's funny in the show. And one is that, is just a sense that, okay, if we're going to under, if we're going to try this endeavor of like all sitting down to hear this whole book in one day together, it better be fun, you know, at least a little bit sometimes. <laughs> and so there is that. So that's where I think you're sometimes seeing us like finding, just finding something a little bit fun about this coincidence. Like, like Gatsby's smile, like his smile, yeah. where the scene where he sits across from you, that's incredibly right. touching, and then he starts smiling ridiculously. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is hilarious. Right. And it but is there's the also book. the humor in the book which uh, comes into high relief just from the fact of it happening on, in a live performance. You know what I mean? Saying that, that Yeah, and saying it out loud with, uh, with people on stage. Uh, you know, humor, humor is, has a, it's slightly better at uh, theater than it is at, on the page. You know what I mean? In terms of getting a, a, a room full of people to see it, you know? So I think a lot of what is funny in the book comes into clarity in performance. I am going to leave it there. Sadly, we have to leave it there. So thank you to Scott and thank you to John.